Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico Church Arlington. It's really good to be here with you and to see your faces in a new year. We are picking back up our study in Galatians and through Galatians. And I want to give you a quick reminder because we're kind of jumping into the deep end. This is one of the kind of climaxes of the entire letter where Paul uses some of his strongest language and he brings home arguments that he's been making over the course of the entire letter. And so I want to remind us that Galatians is written to a church in crisis. It's a church made up primarily of Gentile converts to Christianity who are being led astray by the Judaizers or um, people who would claim to be Christians but then also say that you have to keep all of the law in order to be justified before God. So Jesus is helpful, but he's not sufficient by himself. You actually need to also keep the law. And Paul sees this as a completely different faith. He sees this as an attack against the church of Christ. He sees this as Satan weaseling his way into the children of God, bringing them to doubt their salvation, and leading some to actually trust in what they can do before God. And so Paul gets frustrated several different times. And this isn't like the frustration that we feel um, irrationally or impulsively. This is a righteous, loving frustration. And so that's important for us to remember Because I think sometimes when we're faced with anger or when we're confronted with anger, we think, oh, that person needs to calm down. Like, why are you so mad? You need to chill out a little bit. And I think our temptation today is going to be saying, like, Paul, I think you're going a little too far. Like, that is a bit much. But Paul is doing this because he knows what's at stake. And so we're just going to jump right into it. We're going to be in... Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15 this morning, and you'll hear the language, and you will wonder how this got into the Bible. I'll just tell you that. We'll talk about it. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, That if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. 
A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Please pray with me. Father, this is your holy word. I ask that we would not relativize it, that we would not subject it to our human and fallen judgments, but that we would submit ourselves to it, that we would be subject to it. And so, Lord, I ask that the truth that you have for us today, the light that you shine into the darkness, would come to us would awaken us, would give us life, give us hope, give us faith, give us love. Because, Lord, we will find it nowhere else in this world. So, God, I ask that by the power of the Spirit, you would rip away all other things that are distracting us, that are preventing us from seeing the goodness of who you are and what you have done in your Son. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine that you're walking down the street and some random person comes up to you and says, as excited as they can possibly be, jumping up and down, you're innocent. You're innocent. You are not guilty. And you look at them and you're like, I'm just on my way to work. Cool. I guess I'll just keep going. I think that oftentimes in our culture, for us as a modern audience living a modern life, where we're kind of insulated from catastrophe, where we're insulated oftentimes from great pain, great trial, that we kind of feel like that. Especially when we hear Paul getting so fired up about justification and how we're justified. We're kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, good information to have. Let's keep going. I'm just going to keep living my life now. And that's something that really struck me as I was reading this, especially going to verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Whoa. Paul is really upset. He really cares about this. So much so that he understands that the people who are leading these Galatians astray, he wishes this harm done. 
to them. He's a man who's patient, who's kind, who's filled with the Spirit, who's loving. And so the question that I was asking myself is like, what are we missing? Why don't we get as concerned with justification? Why don't we care about this? Why is it just kind of like, oh yeah, it's another like Christian saying that I know and assent to, but doesn't ever actually reach down into our souls and guide our steps. And so we're going to talk about that because beneath the language that's here in the beginning part of chapter 5 is something that's really important for us. It's really important for every single person to know. And what is assumed here in this culture is completely obscured in our culture. And so we have to kind of like bring it up to the surface so that we can understand why this matters so much. So we don't think about circumcision how this culture thought about circumcision. It doesn't factor into our righteousness. It doesn't factor into any idea or conception that it's a command of God. It's just something. And so we can miss really easily why this is so important. And so I want to talk about circumcision for a minute just so that we can kind of understand why this is so important. And in this text, you see that circumcision, it's not really about circumcision. Circumcision is kind of a symbol for something underneath. Circumcision is a symbol for an attempt to be justified by the law. That's what it says right there in verse 4. You who would be justified by the law. So what was happening is that these false teachers were coming into these churches and they were saying, in order to be justified, in order to be righteous, in order to stand in the judgment of God, you have to be circumcised and keep the rest of the law. And yeah, Jesus fills in the cracks. He kind of helps you out. He boosts you where you're falling short. But your own merit is good enough to stand before God on the day of judgment. Because that's what, that's what justification is. It's talking about a day of judgment. It's talking about a day when you go and stand before a judge on trial charges leveled against you. And so now, imagine yourself as someone who is walking to the courtroom for their trial. Their life hanging in the balance. A life sentence. Being issued the death penalty. Knowing to the core of their being that they're guilty. I did it. Also knowing that the judge that they're going to stand before is 
perfectly just. Not only is he perfectly just, but he knows everything. So that not only the thing that you're being accused of does he know, but all of the things that you thought were hidden, that no one saw, every single imperfection, every single desire that was twisted and dark, every single selfish impulse was going to be laid bare before this judge. And he's not only all-knowing, he's also all-powerful. He's also holy. He's perfect in power and majesty, and he will tolerate no evil in his kingdom. That's the context of this day of judgment and the language of justification. Friends, you are accused. Every one of us. By the word of God. By his righteousness. That he has revealed to us in his word. In his creation. By the prophets. And by his son. All of us have been subpoenaed to come and stand before that judge. And so the question is, what defense will you make? What will be your argument? Who's going to advocate for you? And what are they going to say? And this was something that the Jewish people who are teaching the Galatians, they actually understood that part. They understood that, you know what, we have been accused by God, and we need to make a defense of ourselves. And they understood how serious this was to the point where they were willing to take a sharp stone and circumcise their kids. Bloody painful, gory. They took satisfying the law very seriously because they knew that they had been issued a subpoena and that they were going to stand before a holy God who is coming to them in judgment. And so that's a very different culture. That's a very different worldview. That's a very different existence than what we have. Because what we have is we have a society that replaces an external God who's out there, who's transcendent, who's powerful for our God within us, for our inner self, our inner voice, our inner peace, our inner feelings. And so we go day to day, and our main Question. The main thing that we use to justify ourselves is not, how am I going to satisfy God? It's, how am I going to satisfy myself? How am I going to be true to myself? How am I going to express myself? How am I going to design my life in such a way that it fulfills my deepest longings? It's justification in a different way. 
You see, we live in a society that says you are justified by your feelings. And so the key to living a free life is to feel good things. Here's an example of this, of how this works out, how I know that this is true, how I know that this is the world we live in. As I was studying and training to become a counselor, I don't know how many years ago, 10 years ago, um, I had to take a test in order to get a license. And as I was studying for this test, you take practice tests that kind of show you, okay, here's what the test looks like. And so on this practice test, I remember one of the questions. The question was this. You are meeting with someone who is coming to you for anxiety. They're feeling anxious. Why are they anxious? Well, because they have been having an affair on their spouse, and the person that they've been having an affair with is coming over to stay with them. And so they're anxious. And so that's the information you're given. And then it says, like, here, how do you respond? What do you do? What's your course of action? And there's, like, four options. I can't remember them all. A couple of them, though. Refer for marriage counseling. <laughs> right? It's like, okay. Yeah. I could understand that one. Another one was talk to them about living an honest and morally upright life and by confessing and coming clean to their spouse. Explore that option with them. Okay, I could see that. Option three, deep breathing exercises. <laughs> yeah, I chose all of them. I didn't, and the answer was deep breathing exercises. Why? Because that will make your anxiety feel better. It'll justify yourself because you feel better. And if you think that this hasn't slipped into how you understand your world, you're just crazy. It's everywhere. It's in everything we do. This idea that you are justified by how you feel. And it's why the false teachers that we are facing today they aren't trying to get us to fulfill the law that was revealed in the Old Covenant. They're not trying to get us to find our righteousness, our justification in how we obey God's law. Instead, they're saying God's law doesn't matter. The law of God, that's old stuff. Don't worry about it. That was just what God had to do back then. But today, God is loving. Today, God gives you grace. Today, God justifies you freely. And that's the problem with false teachers, is that there's always a kernel of truth that sounds good, that tickles our ears. And so, you mean to tell me that I can love God and I can continue to live how I have been living? You mean to tell me that I thought I was on trial, but that was actually just false guilt and false shame, and now there's no trial, and I can be my own God, and I don't have to depend only on Jesus. I can also depend on my accomplishments, my career, my bank account, my sexuality, 
oh, that sounds pretty nice at first. The problem with it is that there's no power in it. There's no power at all in that. There's no experience of the grace of God in that because there's no need for God's grace. You see, we have so insulated ourselves from God's law that we've made Jesus just basically irrelevant. And so we don't have joy in our salvation. We quickly forget all that Jesus has done. We devalue it. And we busy ourselves with other things, things that we think are more important. We busy ourselves with success in our career. We busy ourselves with a relationship that we want. We busy ourselves with a house that we want. We busy ourselves with retirement. All of these things that communicate to us, you're on the right path. You're doing good. It's how we justify ourselves. And some of those things are really good things. Many of them are really good things. But if you depend on them to justify yourself before a holy God, it'll disappear with a word. It's not strong enough to stand in the day of judgment. Psalm 130 is a powerful psalm that talks about this, that talks about what it looks like to fall under the conviction of the law, of God's holiness revealed to you, and the realization that you are going to have to stand face to face with your creator, and what it looks like for someone who has dealt with that truth. Here's what Psalm 130, the first three verses say. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? You see, this person is not going before this judge and saying, okay, you got me on a couple of these counts, but here are the things that I have done. You see, I was circumcised. You see, I actually fulfilled this commandment and this commandment this one time and this other time. You see, I actually went to church half the Sundays in the year. I went to community group. I prayed out loud. I did all the things. I gave this amount of money. I shared the gospel with this neighbor. No. This person goes and please cries out to God from the depths for mercy. Because he knows that none of that will stand. Nothing that you do, no amount of feeling good about yourself will stand in the day of judgment. Paul, elsewhere in Romans, he kind of elaborates on this theme, this theme of justification and what it looks like, what it means. And this is a really important passage, so you can underline it. Um, if you don't have it underlined in your Bibles, Romans 
3, verses 23, and I'll read all the way through 31. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not also the God of Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is God's answer to that cry for mercy. He reveals his righteousness in his Son. He reveals his righteousness and his holiness in his law, yes. But unless he reveals his righteousness, his holiness in his son, we are forsaken. We have nothing to stand on. So Paul gets excited in Romans 3, and he says, God has put forward this son as a propitiation, a satisfaction of the just wrath of God against all sin, Jesus has satisfied it perfectly, completely, his blood standing in your place. And so when that person comes up to you and says, you are not guilty, it's not the well-meaning wish of someone who wants to give you a brief moment of comfort, but it's a fact of history written into the books that you thought your trial was in the future. You thought you were walking to your court date. And says, no, no, your court date happened 2,000 years ago at the cross of Christ. That is what it looks like to stand in the judgment to have as an advocate God's own Son who is put forward to stand in your place. And that is what Paul is meaning in Galatians when he says that we are hoping for righteousness. In the Bible, when you see the word hope, don't think wishing Don't think, oh, I really hope that that happens, as if, oh, I don't know that that's going to happen. Think confidence and certainty in something that has not yet happened. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things not seen. You see, the hope of righteousness for those who are 
taking on circumcision is visible. They can go into the public baths and everybody knows, oh, you're in, you're, you're good. You're, you and your family are covered. It's because you're a good Jew. It's because you are following the law. <laughs> and Paul says, they're not taking circumcision far enough. Don't just take part. Take the whole thing. Take the whole law. Be cut by the whole thing. And then see if you're still standing. No, we hope for something that we don't see yet. Why? Because we have been justified even though we are still sinners. Even though our righteousness is something that we wait to be fully revealed and we haven't realized it yet, we have assurance because God's word shows us his judgment. And his judgment in Christ is not guilty. Righteous sons and daughters, adopted, united to Christ. And this is what the same author of Psalm 130 knew. He depends on God. He trusts him. He says in verse 4 of Psalm 130, But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in this word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The freedom of being set free, of being forgiven, it empowers a completely new life. It empowers obedience to God that is free because you have been forgiven. It's not obedience to God to one day be free, to hopefully be forgiven. It's free obedience. And this is what is really leading into the rest of the book is this idea that when you have been justified by grace through faith, your life is a response to God in joyful expectation of what he's going to do. You're able to let go of every sin that clings close. You're able to let go of the plans for your life that you were using to justify yourself. You were able to let go of everything, even the most precious thing to us in our culture, your identity. You're able to let it go. You're able to relinquish it to a God who loves you, who has given you his son, and who has set you free. And so like Paul says in Romans 3, does that mean that, oh, we just forget the law, like our false teachers of our modern day want us to? No. Instead, we freely fulfill the law by truly loving God, truly loving our neighbor. And by eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. 
that's been promised to us by that same judge who knows everything, is all-powerful, is perfect, and would never lie. And so I, I want myself to believe this. I want us to believe this. I want us to be shaken to our core. That we have stood face to face with eternal separation, eternal punishment, eternal condemnation. And instead of receiving that, we've received the embrace of our Lord and Savior. To believe that, to think that more important than anything else in your life, to allow the power of that to fill you from your toes to the top of your head, to be transformed by it, to love God, to love your neighbor. Because friends, the grass that is your bank account, that is your appearance, that is your mental health, that is your physical health, It all withers. And the flowers that is your youth, that is your inner peace, that is your identity, it will fade. But this word endures forever. Trust it. Believe in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that You interrupt the malaise of our modern lives with your word. God, I ask that we, following the example of Paul, would take it very seriously how we are justifying ourselves and that we would take your word seriously that we would understand all of the demands that your law has placed on us, and that, Lord, we would allow ourselves to be driven to despair so that from there we might call out for mercy. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to remember that moment in our lives when for the first time, we understood what it meant to be justified. Lord, help us to improve on that. Help us to fortify it. Help us to take these warnings seriously and respond to them and walk in the faith and the hope of the righteousness that will one day be revealed. Lord, we ask that you would bring that soon. Help us to wait. Help us to do that with one another, for one another, and for your glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.